natural horsemanship trainer Pat Pirelli says, A horse doesn't care how much you know until he knows how much you care. Hi there, and welcome to Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm your host, Jan M. Flynn, and when I'm not podcasting, I'm writing, and when I'm not doing either, I'm thinking all the damn time. Okay, overthinking. If you know what it's like to have a brain that doesn't know when it's time to pipe down, I'm here to offer you a quick break from the pesky voice in your head by listening to the one in mine. This week, I'm thinking about writing, which leads me to think about young teenagers, which leads me to think about horses. Bear with me. I don't talk a lot about my writing on Here's a Thought because there are already lots of terrific podcasts about writing. And also, what they say about spiders is just as true of writers. No matter where you are in the world, you're never more than six feet away from one. Anyway, I've written adult and young adult fiction, both short stories and novel length. I've written historical fiction. I've written some very serious stuff. I've written wacky adventure stuff and what's called speculative fiction, which is a term that covers any kind of story that involves things that don't happen in daily reality, from evil dolls to sentient stuffed animals. Some of those things have been published in magazines and anthologies, some have won awards or prizes, and some languish somewhere on my hard drive. But what I'm focused on writing these days is middle-grade fantasy. For those unfamiliar with publishing lingo, middle-grade is not a quality designation, like when a restaurant gets a letter grade from the health department and you want to steer clear of any place that's got lower than an A. Middle grade refers to literature aimed at readers in their tween or early teen years, from kids who have just moved on from early chapter books to fans of Harry Potter, Rick Reardon's Percy Jackson series, or The Hunger Games, to name some of the more famous examples of the genre. Why am I, a woman whose memory stretches back to the Eisenhower administration, crafting yarns set in make-believe worlds aimed at young teens? Well, there's a few reasons. One is that the books I read when I was at that age were the ones that ignited my imagination, the ones I've never forgotten, the ones that turned me into an avid lifelong reader, especially the great fantasy titles like T.H. White's The Once and Future King, based on the Arthurian legends, or Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea series, or C.S. Lewis's Narnia Chronicles, and of course, J.R.R. Tolkien. I still possess the copy of The Hobbit, that my sister gave me for Christmas when I was in seventh grade. By eighth grade, I was deep into The Lord of the Rings, and I remember my math teacher's alarm when I ran out of class in tears one day, not because I was hopeless at algebra, although I certainly was, but because I'd been reading my copy of The Fellowship of the Ring under my desk, and I'd just gotten to the part where Gandalf, my favorite wizard of all time, falls into the pit of Moria. You'd have thought I'd just heard that a beloved family member had just died. And in a way, that was true. I still read middle-grade fiction, especially fantasy, and I still love it. The best of it gives us characters that become real to us, as real as Gandalf or Frodo or Aslan felt to me, characters who usher us into worlds of possibility, of magical happenings and legendary creatures, of desperate dangers and impossible obstacles that are somehow overcome. And without beating us over the head with morals or lessons, these books have things to teach us, things that cut to the heart of what matters, 
whether that's how to live a worthwhile life or build a society that's worth living in. At twelve, I took in what T.H. White's young King Arthur said about might not equaling right, and it became one of my core beliefs, a guidepost that fortifies me in times like these, when our world seems to be in a lot of confusion on that point. And when I was thirteen, something Gandalf said, not long before he fell into that pit and broke my heart for a while, made me a lifelong opponent of the death penalty. Many that live deserve death, he tells Frodo, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? The other thing about middle-grade fiction, especially fantasy, its readers are among the most passionate, the most devoted of literary fans. When I'm writing my tales of a low-born girl who forms a forbidden friendship with a wild griffin, I keep in mind the kids I once worked with when I was a middle school educator, the kids who spent their recess or lunch break, or math class, with their head in a book, spirited away into some realm far beyond and far grander than the confines and petty dramas of the schoolyard. And like me, there are a fair amount of adults who thrive on this literature. The fans who made J.K. Rowling and Rick Reardon famous weren't all 12-year-olds. Far from it. On that note, and just as an aside, if you haven't discovered the debut novel written by Aaron Bow, a middle-grade novel, though not a fantasy, titled Simon Sort of Says, I encourage you to stop whatever you're doing, including listening to this blogcast, and rush out to pick up or download a copy. It's one of the best books of any genre I've read in the past 12 months, and I read a lot. I'm not the only one who thinks so. It's up for major awards, including the National Book Award. But back to my topic. What does any of this have to do with horses? As I mentioned, I've been a middle school educator. Among my many careers was teaching English and drama at a middle school in California in the 90s, and my last day job was as a campus supervisor at a middle school. That was a position that fell somewhere between assistant principal and crossing guard. And at the same time, I was spending a lot of time around horses. I was a volunteer and board member with a horse rescue and sanctuary in Calistoga, California. Some of the horses I worked with there were survivors of abuse or neglect. Others had been surrendered because their owners simply couldn't afford their care and had run out of options. The horse rescue offered these animals a safe, permanent landing spot, complete with plenty of human care and attention. For the humans in the equation... It offered the unique power of the horse-human connection. It was a win for all involved. And for me, spending my work week with young adolescents, it was a perfect complement to my job. Nowadays, it informs what I write. Here's why. It is amazing how much horses and young adolescents have in common. If you work with or parent or otherwise have teens in your life, here are four lessons I can offer you, things that I was taught by my equine friends. One, it's all about the herd. Horses, as big and strong as they are, know that their survival depends on being part of the group. They're prey animals. Together, they may bicker and jostle for position, but they feel far better equipped to meet the threatening world outside their tribe. Alone, they're mostly afraid and miserable. For kids past the age of 11, friends increasingly take the place of family and adults as their bedrock, their sense of home ground. Finding their place in the herd is an intense and ongoing preoccupation, one that can't be ignored by teachers or parents, or writers of middle-grade fiction. Two, 
every herd needs a leader, and leaders are tested. The first thing a natural horsemanship trainer will tell you when you are handling a horse is this. In the horse's mind, you and he now constitute a herd. The herd is the basic unit of survival. It has to have a leader, and given that the horse weighs a thousand pounds and is afraid of almost everything, that leader had better be you. Just as with teens, you have to earn and maintain a horse's respect before you can effectively work with them. This is where courage comes in. Some horses are quick to accept you, but there are times when you have to stand your ground while a pushy colt sees if he can get away with invading your space. Once you've passed that test, the horse nearly always calms down and accepts you as the one who's going to keep things safe and orderly. Then he'll follow you willingly, until something changes or you lose your cool, when the whole process starts all over again. And so it is with adolescence. Three, they don't know their own strength, but you need to. Having an adolescent body is much like suddenly being in possession of a horse. It's a big, strong creature. It has huge appetites. And sometimes it behaves unpredictably for reasons that even it may not understand. Like the horse, an adolescent's body is capable of both grace and disastrous clumsiness. It needs to move a lot. It needs fresh air, the right food, and plenty of space. And it desperately needs a chance to play without too much interference from you, even though watching horses or young teens play can be downright alarming. Try not to let either of them step on your feet. And four, they're worth it. Horses and kids take a lot of work and a lot of patience and a lot of resources. But what they give back? Is incalculable. If you've had direct experience with the horse human mystique, then you know what I mean. They are exquisitely sensitive creatures, capable of reflecting and amplifying human emotional states, and, once you have their trust, generous in offering their deep reserves of peace and healing. And if you've worked with or raised adolescents, then you know their flashes of brilliance, their humor, their breathtaking creativity, and their surprising wisdom. Horses and young teens demand the best I have to give. Working with them has kept me grounded in what a mysterious and challenging world we inhabit together. Writing for teens is a privilege. I'm lucky I get to do it. Thanks for joining me on this 97th episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. I'm so grateful to all my listeners. If you take a moment to leave a star rating or review on your podcast app, I'll be even more awash in gratitude, and we all know that gratitude is a good thing. Until next time, may you explore avenues of wonder. May your imagination lead you into realms of possibility and light, even when things look dark here in what we think is the real world. And may all your thoughts be good ones. <laughs>